Please turn in your Bibles this morning back to the passage that we read earlier in Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4, and I'll read verses 14 through 16. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things, as we are yet without sin. Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We continue this morning our study in the heart of our Lord Jesus Christ. What is his heart as he has now been ascended back into heaven and we ourselves continue as his disciples here on earth below? We have begun to see from numerous passages that the love and the affection of Jesus remains the same for us now that he is in glory as it has ever been before. His tender love, his compassion, his kindness toward us as his disciples is unchanging. We've looked at passages in the Upper Room Discourse in John chapter 14 through 16. We've seen his high priestly prayer in John chapter 17, which is a pattern of his intercession in heaven. And we've seen his words as he spoke to his disciples on various occasions after his resurrection. And then we've even seen him in his ascension as he was lifted up from the earth into heaven and he raised his arms, he lifted his arms and blessed his disciples even as he was lifted up from the earth. And on all of these occasions, Jesus anticipated his return to his heavenly father, That was what was central upon his mind, his ascension back into glory. And so as we have looked at those passages, they have given us a window, a sight into the heart of Jesus as he ascends back into heaven and will take his seat at the right hand of God the Father. John said in John chapter 13 in verse 1, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And that's what he has done. He has loved us from the beginning. He will love us to the very end. And he has loved his disciples, we have seen, as he anticipated his return back into heaven. But in what we have seen so far, there are really two limitations First, Jesus had not yet been exalted back to the throne of God in heaven. He had not yet returned to the highest place of glory in heaven. He was still upon the earth and he was only on his way to that world above. And second, we could also say that from what we have seen thus far, we have only looked at his heart outwardly. We might say we have only seen his heart externally by the words that he spoke on various occasions here on earth, and we have not looked 
directly into his heart. But here in Hebrews chapter 4 and verses 14 through 16, these limitations are both removed because here, as verse 14 says, he has already now passed through the heavens and he has taken his seat at the right hand of God as our great high priest. And in verse 15, the apostle here draws near and looks into, close into the heart of Christ and tells us what he sees in the soul of Jesus now that he has exalted to his glory in the world above. He tells us that in the heart of Christ there is this tender compassion and sympathy for us. For we do not have a high priest, the one who has exalted into heaven, who cannot sympathize with us in our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. A clearer sight into the heart of Jesus there could not be found anywhere in the scriptures. Here we have a revelation from heaven of the inner thoughts and the heart of Jesus, the tender mercies of his soul and his compassion and sympathy for us who are still here in this world of sin and trouble and such confusion. In the upper room, when the disciples reclined about the table with Jesus, the apostle John, whom Jesus loved, he leaned upon Jesus' breast. And in that tender scene of loving friendship, John could hear the heartbeat of Christ. But here in verse 15, the apostle, in a sense, he brings us into the very throne of heaven, very near to Christ, and he lets us hear his heartbeat there as well as he sits at the right hand of God. Here in verses 14 through 16, we really have a paragraph. The focus of our attention will be on verse 15, but this morning we and today, we will only take our time to introduce the subject, and this morning we'll be looking only at verse 14, and then, Lord willing, next Lord's Day, we'll continue into verse 15. But the purpose of the apostle here in this paragraph is to give a very strong encouragement to believers in the midst of the many troubles, in the midst of the many discouragements of life that we face here. We notice in the beginning of verse 14, he says, since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. He speaks of our possession. He speaks of that which now belongs to us. We have one in heaven at the right hand of God the Father, we now have a great high priest who belongs to us, and we belong to him as he sits at God's right hand. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. I will call the writer here the apostle, not because I know who he is, and not that I have in my mind any one of the other apostles, the Apostle Paul or any of the others, but only because he was obviously sent 
to speak this book to us, and so we may call him an apostle. The apostle here, he writes to the Hebrews. He writes to Jews who once followed Old Testament Judaism, but now with the coming of Jesus, they have heard the gospel and they have come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as the promised Messiah. And because they came out of Old Covenant Judaism, Throughout this book of Hebrews, the apostle has in mind various contrasts between the old and the new covenants. And we today, as believers, as they were then, we are under a better covenant, which has been enacted on better promises because because we have a better high priest, a great high priest in Jesus Christ. He speaks here in regard to the Old Testament priests of the tabernacle in the wilderness. If we look back to the previous verses, we see that this is what lies in the background of the apostle's mind. We look back to Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 15 and following. While it is said in verse 15, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as when they provoked me. For who provoked him when they heard? Indeed, did not all those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies fell in the wilderness? And to whom did he swear that they should not enter his rest, but those, but to those who were disobedient? And so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. The people of Old Testament Israel, they were brought out of Egypt. They spent 40 years in the wilderness. They had the tabernacle in the wilderness, which was the meeting place of God with his people. They had the old covenant priesthood. And the people would gather around that tabernacle in the wilderness and they would watch their high priest on the day of atonement as he would enter within the veil of the tabernacle and he would pass from their sight into the holy place of God and he would come with the blood of atonement for the sins of the people. The old covenant people, they had a high priest who passed within the veil But the apostle is telling us here in verse 14 that we have a high priest as well. We have one who has passed not within the veil of an earthly tabernacle, but we have a high priest who has passed through the veil of the heavens above. And he has passed into the heavenly sanctuary, the sanctuary that is not made with hands, the sanctuary which is the very presence of God in heaven above. Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 24. He says, For Christ did not enter a holy place, made with hands a mere copy of the true one, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God for us. And when he entered into that heavenly sanctuary, He did not come with the blood of bulls and goats, which could never take away sin. But he entered with his own precious blood in a one-time sacrifice 
which has taken away the sins of all of his people once and for all. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 12, having offered one sacrifice for all time, he sat down at the right hand of God, for by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. This is the great theme of the book of Hebrews, the superiority of our great high priest, Jesus, over all those priests of the old covenant. The fellow countrymen of these believers here, they were still under Old Testament Judaism. And they taunted those who had come to faith in the Lord Jesus. And they were saying to them, look at all that you have left from the Old Covenant ceremonial law. Look at the tabernacle and the temple worship that you have left. And the rituals and the worship of the priesthood that was ordained for so long since the time of Moses. You no longer have a high priest. You no longer have a high priest who can represent you before God. But the apostle says, yes, we do. And we have a high priest who is infinitely superior to any other high priest. We have a great high priest, even Jesus, the Son of God, who has passed through into the heavens. There are no priests in the New Testament church except for Jesus who is the fulfillment of the Old Testament priests. The priests of the Old Covenant, they were only shadows of him who was to come. And now that he has come, the shadows have all disappeared because Christ himself is the substance, the fulfillment of all those Old Testament priests. Roman Catholics and Episcopalians, they still have priests in their churches. And if you have a conversation with one of them, perhaps they might say to you, well, you only have ministers, you only have pastors, and you have no priests in your church. And our response to them should be, yes, we do have a priest. And we have one, only one priest one who is over all the churches, the great high priest in our Lord Jesus Christ, a high priest who has passed into the heavens above. When he calls them, calls Jesus a great high priest, it is a kind of repetition of the words here because there is a word for high priest, one single word, high priest, and the word also means great priest. And so the high priest or the great priest of the old covenant, he was the foremost, he was the highest of all the priests. And he alone had responsibility to enter the holy place once a year on the day of atonement. But the apostle here, he puts the word great in front of high priest. And so it could be really translated that he is the great, great priest. The great means that he is extraordinary. He is preeminent. 
He is mighty in power. He is exalted high in dignity and rank. That's how the word is used here. Jesus is not just a high priest like those other high priests of the old covenant. He is the unique, the most extraordinary high priest that there could ever be mighty in power. He is preeminent in rank. He has majesty, glory above all others. There can never be a high priest like him in honor and glory. We have such a high priest who has passed through the heavens. The apostle has already spoken about Jesus and his great glory in the previous chapters. And we should look back to chapter 1 for just a few moments Back in chapter 1, he exalts Jesus. Throughout this chapter, we see in verse 6, he says, and when he again brings the firstborn into the world, he says, this is God the Father speaking in verse 6, he says, let all the angels of God worship him. This is what God the Father said when he sent his beloved Son into the world. He commanded all of the angels of heaven to give worship to him. And then after Jesus ascended back into heaven and took his throne, we see down in verse 8, but of the Son, he says, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, and the righteous scepter is the scepter of of his kingdom. The words come from Psalm 45. The apostle tells us here that they have been fulfilled in Jesus. This is what happened after his ascension. The father gave him a throne in heaven and the father spoke to him as God because he is God and gave him that throne and said, oh, thy throne, O God, he says, is an eternal throne. It is a throne that shall last forever and ever. We were speaking back in chapter 4 and verse 14 of Jesus as a great high priest. But priests do not have thrones. Kings have thrones. And so Jesus is not just a great high priest, but he is also a glorious king as well upon a throne. The highest place of power in heaven with all authority has been given to him. He is the king over all things, the great high priest, the king as well with power, a high priest with power from heaven above. And kings have kingdoms. Jesus has a kingdom as well. He mentions his kingdom at the end of verse 8. It is a kingdom of righteousness. He has a scepter that is given into his hands. It is the scepter of righteousness, the scepter that, by which he rules over his kingdom. And in verse 9, he is the king who loves righteousness and hates lawlessness. And so in this kingdom, all who are in the kingdom, they are like their great king, at least in the beginning of being conformed to his image. And they love righteousness and they hate lawlessness as well. He has this great kingdom that is present here on the earth now in the church. The world does not recognize this kingdom of Jesus, but the world will one day recognize 
the glorious kingdom of Jesus when he returns from heaven and he brings in the new heavens and the new earth in which righteousness will reign and all of his people will be gathered and his kingdom will be glorified and he will be glorified on that day. So he has a kingdom here. The great high priest is also a king with a throne, with a scepter, a kingdom of righteousness. We can add to this that Jesus is also in the book of Hebrews one who speaks the word of God like a prophet to his people. If we look back at chapter 1 and verse 1, he says, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, he speaks here of all the Old Testament prophets. They spoke. God spoke through them in many portions, in many ways. But then he says, in contrast to them, in verse 2, but in these last days, in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. In his last days, he has spoken to us his final words in his great prophet, the prophet who is above all other prophets in his beloved son. That's what a prophet does. A prophet speaks the word of God to the people and the greatest prophet of all is our Lord Jesus Christ who speaks his word into the hearts of his people by the power of the Holy Spirit that they believe, that they love, and they walk in his ways. This is what God said on the mountain of transfiguration. Moses and Elijah were there. God came over the mountain in a cloud and in his majestic voice, he said, in contrast to Moses and Elijah, he said, behold, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. He is the greatest of all the prophets. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 24, the apostle tells us that we have come to Jesus. We have come to Jesus, who is the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood, which speaks better than the blood of Abel. And then he says, see to it that you do not refuse him who is speaking, referring to Jesus. That's what Jesus is doing from heaven today in his church throughout the world. He is speaking as the great prophet, his word to his people. So in this book of Hebrews, the central theme is Jesus, the great high priest, as we see in chapter 4 and verse 14. But the great high priest is also the most glorious king who rules over all things, and he is the prophet of his people as well. On his throne in heaven, prophet, priest, and king. We see his glory again down in verse 13 of this chapter. He says, but to which of the angels has he ever said, sit at my right hand until I make thine enemies a footstool for thy feet? The language of a king as well. Psalm 119 is where these words come from. They were spoken by the Father to the Son when he ascended to his right hand in heaven. Sit down at my right hand. I will make you king, and you will rule until your enemies are a footstool for thy feet. 
So what the apostle is telling us here in Hebrews chapter 1 is that all of the Old Testament prophecies have come to their fulfillment in the person of Christ. He is the great prophet, the priest, the king over all of his people. We look down to chapter 2 and verse 9. Chapter 2 and verse 9. But we do not see him who has been made for a little while lower than the angels. Namely, Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. Priests do not wear a crown, kings wear a crown. And after Jesus suffered upon the cross, was raised from the dead, he ascended back into heaven. The Father is the one who crowned him and placed that crown of glory and power and honor upon him as the great king and great high priest. So Jesus came into this world and suffered upon the cross. He was raised from the dead. He ascended back into heaven. He passed through the heavens in his ascension and he took his seat at the highest place of majesty, power on the throne of God at his right hand. And God the Father commanded all of heaven to worship him. And God the Father gave him authority over all things in heaven and upon earth. And God the Father placed into his hand, into his right hand, a scepter of righteousness to rule over his enemies. And God the Father crowned him with glory and honor and gave him a kingdom, an eternal kingdom. And that's who he is as our great high priest. And there is no high priest who can ever compare with him. He is the great, great high priest as we see back in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 14. The one who is preeminent and above all others, majestic, transcendent, none can be compared with him. He is the great, great high priest. And so the apostle tells us this is what, who we have. We have him as our possession he belongs to us by the gift of God the Father to us our representative in heaven and we are united to him and he is united to us and he intercedes for us a most astonishing and wonderful truth that should be a great encouragement to us as believers the function of a priest the function of a priest is to represent the people before God that's the whole function of a priest, to represent the people in the presence of God. The whole need for a priest arose because of our sin. Because our sin is such an offense, it has provoked God's anger against us. And we were banished. We have been separated and cast out of his presence. And there is no man on earth that could ever approach God in heaven or come near to him. Once Adam sinned in the garden, there was no more worship upon earth. And we needed another 
to appear in the presence of God for us, who could deal with the great problem of our sin, who could make a reconciliation between God and us and remove our sins so that he was no longer offended with us. And this is what the great high priest Jesus has done for us. We said that he is a prophet, a priest, and a king. A prophet, his great work is to speak the word of God. He may be involved in worship, but his primary function is to speak the word to the people. A king, he may be involved in worship as well, but his primary task is to rule as king. But a priest, a priest, his central work, his great work is worship. And after Adam sinned, there was no worship anymore in this world. And so God appointed a great high priest, Jesus, who could bring us back to God, who could represent us in the presence of God and appear there and intercede for us and for all of our needs. And this is who he has given to us in our great high priest. Two names are given to us here of him, Jesus, the Son of God. Two names given, Jesus and the Son of God. Jesus means Savior. It is his name given to him as a man in his incarnation. It was the name given to him at his birth when the angel said to Joseph, you shall call him his name Jesus, for it is he who will save his people from their sin. His human name, Jesus. But then he is also called here Son of God, which is his divine title, because he has been God from all eternity. He has been equal with the Father in glory, power, majesty, in all the divine attributes. He and the Father are one. He is Jesus, and he is the Son of God, from eternity. He is God and man in one person forever. The two names are deliberately placed here side by side so that we might understand who our great high priest really is. That he is man who is with us and he is God that he might be one with God as well. The only one who can Bridge the great gulf between God and man is the man, Christ Jesus, the one who is God and man. He is man that he might represent us. He might take our sins upon himself at the cross. He might bear our iniquity in the presence of God. He is a man that he might be our high priest and take away our sin. And he is God that he would offer a holy and perfect sacrifice. He is God that his sacrifice would be of infinite value in the sight of God and that he might be our high priest most pleasing to the Father in every way. He is God, he is man, he is Jesus, the Son of God. This is who represents us now in heaven. So that God the Father does not look directly upon us. 
But he looks upon his beloved son, Jesus, the son of God from eternity. He looks upon the one whom he has been pleased with from eternity. There is no one who more pleases God the Father than his beloved son. And we are as pleasing to the Father as his son is. Because he looks upon us through his beloved son. We have his righteousness. We have his blood to cleanse us from all of our sins. We are pleasing only because of him. The priests of the old covenant when they entered the holy place. They would have on their breastplate the names of the twelve tribes of Israel. To symbolize that they represented, that high priest represented the tribes of Israel as he entered in to the holy place of the tabernacle. But those Old Testament priests, they were mere men. And they were only sinful men who could never truly be pleasing to the holiness of God. But we have a great high priest who is perfect in his holiness himself and stands perfectly pleasing before the holiness of God. He is the joy of God the Father, the Son of God, and he has been so from eternity. We notice that verse 14 follows immediately after verses 12 and 13. We shouldn't ignore that. In verses 12 and 13, we read this, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. In verses 12 and 13, the word of God comes to us here. The word of God is living, active, and sharper than any two-edged sword. The word comes and it, it pierces into our souls. And the word of God at times opens our hearts and reveals our sins and convicts us. And we are humbled and we are brought low in the dust and we tremble before the word. And we see ourselves for who we really are. Our hearts are laid bare before the eyes of God with whom we have to do. We cry out with the apostle in Romans chapter 7, Wretched man that I am, who can set me free from the body of this death? We have no hope in ourselves when the word of God comes to us in this way. What shall we do? What shall we do? We have a remedy, the only remedy in verse 14. The only remedy is found in the great high priest whom God has given to us, our Lord Jesus, he is able to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And he is able to sympathize with us in our weaknesses. 
So it is no mistake that verse 14 follows immediately after verses 12 and 13. Because the more we experience the convicting power of the word of God in our hearts, the more we see our need for this great high priest. And we have such a high priest in our Lord Jesus Christ. We live in a time when there's a lot of what we might call psychobabble, psychological talk from the psychologists, the humanistic psychologists. People speak about forgiving themselves. When they do something wrong, they feel guilty. And then they're told that all you need to do is to forgive yourself and everything will be right. But we cannot forgive ourselves. No man can forgive himself. Forgiveness must come from God. Forgiveness belongs to him and to him alone. And our consciences will have no true peace until we know that he is at peace with us. And if we believe in Jesus, then we may be certain that we have this peace. Because God is at peace with Jesus and his blood has cleansed us from every sin. He has passed through the heavens. He has taken his seat on the throne of God. He is our great high priest who represents us in the presence of God. We may have peace of conscience because we know that God is at peace with us through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's interesting to note that the book of Hebrews is the only book in the Bible that actually speaks of Jesus as a high priest. There are other passages in the Bible that speak of him in his priestly functions. For example, Isaiah chapter 53 and verse 12, Isaiah says, He himself bore the sin of many and interceded, For the transgressors, he interceded a priestly function. Romans chapter 8 and verse 34, Paul says, Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, who was rather raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Intercession, a priestly function. And John says in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 1, If anyone sins, We have an advocate with the Father, even Jesus Christ, the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins. So we see his priestly functions in other passages of the Bible, but the book of Hebrews is the only one that sets before us Jesus, the high priest, the great high priest. There can never be a greater priest than him. He is the one the Father has given to us appointed for us, for our salvation. They had priests in the old covenant tabernacle in the wilderness. They had priests, yes. We have an infinitely superior high priest, a great high priest in our Lord Jesus Christ. When the apostle says here that he passed through the heavens, there seems to be another contrast with those old covenant 
leaders. The contrast is with Moses, the leader of Israel during their wilderness wanderings, and with his brother Aaron, who was the high priest at that time, the high priest of the people. Moses and Aaron are both mentioned here in the book of Hebrews. Moses and Aaron, they promised the people of that generation that they would bring them into the promised land of Canaan. It was only an earthly and transitory land. But Moses and Aaron, they failed to enter that land themselves. And they failed to bring the people into that land either. And that whole generation, with only a few exceptions, they perished in the wilderness. They did not enter the rest That's what he says back in chapter 3 and verse 19. He says, so we see that they were not able to enter because of unbelief. And then we read down in verses 5 and 6. He says, and again in that passage where God swore they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience. So that's what happened to the generation of Moses and Aaron because of their unbelief, their disobedience. They did not enter into the promised land of rest. This is the great concern of this entire chapter, that we here now enter into that rest. He says, be diligent, verse 11. Let us therefore be diligent to enter that rest. Who can help us? We need much help. They perished in the wilderness. We do not wish to perish in the wilderness. Who can help us? Who can come to our aid and give us strength? Who can come and give us grace to help in every time of need? And who can have mercy upon us for our many sins? That's what he's speaking of in verse 14. Since then we have a great high priest. And where is our high priest? He has passed through the heavens. He is not like Moses and Aaron and that unbelieving generation. He has successfully passed into the heavenly place, not into an earthly transitory rest, but into the heavenly and eternal rest. And by his passing into the very presence of God, he has opened the way for us as well. And if we believe and follow him, we shall enter in to that rest with him. He is the guarantee, the assurance of our entering into that eternal rest. He has already gone. That's what the apostle is saying, that Jesus has already gone into the place where we wish to be. And by believing in him, we will follow him. And he is our assurance to bring us into that place with him. We are united to him by faith and he is united to us and he will bring us into that place. Moses and Aaron failed. Christ has succeeded and passed into the heavenly places. The ancient Israelites, they wandered in that wilderness for 40 years 
It was a harsh and hostile wilderness. And many troubles and many trials came upon the people in the wilderness. We too must pass through the wilderness of this world. And it is often a very harsh and hostile place. We must pass through it before we come to the promised land. There are many troubles, many trials, sufferings, and sorrows that come here. Many things that are great disappointments to us in this present life. This this world, this world is no home to a Christian. We are pilgrims. We are wandering, looking for a heavenly city. And this world is no friend to us as believers either. It is a world that is so often opposed to the things of God. We see the sin of the world around us. We see the hardness of men's hearts. We see the indifference, the opposition to the gospel. And sometimes it is very close to us. And in one way or another, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, they will be persecuted. The New Testament speaks often of the trials of a Christian in this present world, in this wilderness. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 22, that you will be hated by all on account of my name, but it is the one who has endured to the end who shall be saved. Paul said to the churches in the book of Acts chapter 14 that through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. And Peter said, 1 Peter chapter 1, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been distressed by various trials. In chapter 4 and verse 12, he said, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which comes upon you for your testing as though some strange thing were happening to you. This is what it is, life in the wilderness of this present world for a Christian. And this is what happened to these Hebrew believers to whom the apostle wrote in this letter. They were under great persecution because of their fellow countrymen for their faith in Jesus. And we can add to this the common difficulties of life that come upon all men. The trials, the tragedies, The sorrows sometimes very heavy to bear and so many and so grievous are they at times that one feels he cannot hold up under them and he can make no progress anymore. All of these things are great discouragements that come to us and their tendency their tendency is to take us and move us away from our confession and our attachment to Jesus. That's the tendency of all the struggles of this present life. And that's why the apostle gives the exhortation at the end of verse 14. Let us hold fast our confession. Let us not turn back from our faith in Jesus. Let us not give up on our attachment to him. And let us not give up our open confession of him before the world because of its pressure against us.
As a man, he is our high priest. He sympathizes with our weakness. Verse 15, he says, He has been tempted in all things, yet without any sin. He has passed through the wilderness of this present world already. He knows every kind of trial, temptation that we will face. He himself has experienced every sorrow, grief, loneliness, misunderstanding, persecution, affliction, whatever hardship could ever come upon us in this world, whatever temptations of sin, temptations from the world and from the devil, Jesus as a man, he has already passed through all of these things. He is Jesus who has come into the world and suffered, but he is also the Son of God. And as God, he has power to help us and come to our aid in every time of temptation and need. He has mercy for us and grace to help us in every time of need. And so that's why the apostle tells us at the end of verse 14, let us hold fast our confession. We'll look at that more this afternoon, that exhortation, but nothing could be more foolish for us than to give up our confession, no matter how painful and difficult the troubles and trials of this life may be. So let us not lose heart along the way, is what he is saying. Let us not turn back from our attachment and our commitment to Christ. And the reason why we should not turn back is because he has given to us such a great high priest in Jesus Christ who is able to give us the help we need to comfort us, to sympathize with us and he has already passed through the heavens and he is our assurance that we will too as we continue to follow him. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us therefore... Hold fast our confession. Let's pray together. Father and gracious God in heaven, we do bless you and thank you that you have given to us such a glorious and gracious high priest, even our Lord Jesus Christ, who is so exalted into the heavenly place. We pray that you would encourage our hearts, strengthen us, give us the grace, the courage, the help we need, that we would persevere in your ways. We thank you now and pray your blessing upon your word to us. In Jesus' name, amen.